The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Also, if you're newer in our church family, we're really wanting to establish the groups, and it's a bit of a moving target. So we want to establish the groups this fall with all the names of all the people that are under the umbrella of our church family. So please call the church office or go online on our webpage and fill out a form called Breeze, the church directory, and we'll, we'll be able to then plug you into a neighborhood group. So uh, may the Lord lead us in this as we continue to unfold what it is. And again, let me clarify, some of you have asked, uh, this fall we are likely not going to be meeting in our neighborhood groups entirely just because it's not going to be possible with COVID-19 uh, policy. But we are going to be getting to know each other and care for each other in smaller groups or on phone calls and so on. And so please, uh, please remember that as we go forward. I'd like to get into the book of James and tell you a little bit about the flow of our message this morning before we actually get into it. And um, the flow of the message is going to be centered around a key word, which is the word logos. And uh, we'll notice this word throughout the message this morning, this word logos. In fact, let me just share with you a quick preview of the message, and then I'll give you the message. Kind of like the deep south preacher that said, uh, first I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do those three things. So first of all, it actually starts in verse 18 when we read about uh, James saying that you, Christian, were born of the word of truth. The word, the word there is used, word, logos. And um, the ESV says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, but the NIV uses the word he chose to give us birth by the word of truth. And it's that word uh, birth that I'm especially keying in on in this first point. Christians were born again, born spiritually by the word of truth. That's an important thing to remember because then we go into verse 19 which talks about, I believe, believing that word. Now, don't change the theme. The theme is that you were born by the word of God. Don't change the theme, and don't, don't pay any attention to the paragraph divisions, because those were all put there later. James just kept on writing, and he said, everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Quick to hear what? Well, I believe he's talking about hearing the word of truth. You should be quick to hear the word of truth. You should be eager to listen to the word of God. You should be slow to speak about it and form your opinions and resist it. And you certainly should be slow to get angry when it confronts you in some way. Okay? And then goes on in verse 21, and he uses again the word word, logos. He says, receive the word with meekness. Receive it into your life. And then he goes on to verse 22 to say, that you should be doers of the word, not hearers only. Don't deceive yourselves and think you're, you're all good just because you've heard something. You've got to live it out. And then finally, in verses 26 and 27, he says that this is what all of this doing of the word leads to. It leads to a real pure and faultless religion, not a fake religion, but a real true religion that respects what Jesus Christ bore within your life way back in verse 18. So that's kind of the lay of the land. That's kind of where we're going to travel this morning. And I would encourage you to just follow along. But before we get into the actual text, I want to just 
give you more background of the first two or 300 years of Christianity on earth after the time of Christ. There was a book written by a guy named Rodney Stark called The Rise of Christianity. He actually was a, a professor of uh, a sociology of religion in, uh, I think, the University of Washington several years ago. He wrote another book called The Triumph Christianity. And he, he writes about the early Christians and what distinguished them from the rest of the culture, the Roman culture particularly, that they lived in. He writes about all the things that they were different, they were known for, how they, they pursued the agenda of Jesus. So let's just list them real quickly. For example, they organized relief for the poor. The Christians did that in their, in their culture. They ransomed their friends from barbarian captors. They voluntarily freed their own slaves because they recognized that their faith and slavery were incongruent. They, they, when, a plague, when a plague hit the land, Christians were the ones who tended to the sick. They were known for this. They were known for this kind of behavior, this kind of service, especially to their unbelieving neighbors. When other people would forsake their neighbors, they would come to their aid and help them out. Many church leaders in the early centuries died because they were contracting the diseases that they were caring for. When Romans would abandon their unwanted babies because of Roman Greek attitude, Christians organized wet nurses, keeping them alive for adoptions to be found. And when life became difficult, many people turned to Christians. Why? Because Christians were already organized into small, caring communities in every city. See, th this is the way Christians were known in the first couple of hundred years. In fact, one of the uh, emperors of Rome that was very against Christianity, he became known as Julian the Apostate because of this. He said this at one point. He said, these impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but also ours. Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. Friends, that's our legacy. That's the way the early church was known. That's the way it started out. In the midst of opposition, persecution, they were, they were known for these kinds of acts of goodness. And, and what is it that distinguishes us today? I ask it. What is it that distinguishes those that are followers of Jesus today? Those that are going to church and part of Christianity today. What is it that distinguishes us? The average person on the street, what would they say are signs of our faith? Would they say that church attendance one hour a week is a sign of a Christian? Would they say that they believe certain things about Jesus? Would they say that they have something to say about their journey, their testimony? These are all good things, but, but if it doesn't go much beyond that into the life that we live that's observable, then somehow it is lacking. Like that incredible theologian Dr. Seuss once said, why fit in when you were born to stand out? Do you know something, as, as comical as it might look, that statement sums up the book of James. And it certainly sums up the message this morning. Why would you fit in when, go back to verse 18, you were born to stand out? You were born again, 
by the grace of God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, to stand out for something. What do you stand out for? And so, as we look at this morning's message, the Christianity of James that he's writing to as an elder in the church in Jerusalem in the first century, uh, he wasn't writing to a group of people that didn't understand the, the suffering and the need to let their lives reflect their beliefs. But what happened? Well, all of that incredible legacy of the first couple hundred years changed when an emperor by the name of Constantine became a Christian. Or at least he said he became a Christian. What he did was that he, he made Rome, the official religion of Rome, became Christianity in 321 A.D. And all of a sudden, what happened was that people that were no longer truly followers of Jesus started to sign on. Well, if we're not going to get persecuted like the other Christians, well, sure, sure, we'll say we're Christians, especially if we want to become part of Constantine's cabinet ministers or part of the church somehow. We'll, we'll sign on. And all of a sudden, the church became watered down. In fact, there was a hierarchy that developed, an incredible hierarchy around the church, and Christianity became the dominant force instead of these persecuted groups of small neighborhood families and so on, began to develop a religion that even didn't resemble the, the Nazareth, the Jesus of Nazareth, a hierarchy of leaders with their priests and bishops and cardinals and pope and vestments and colorful robes and flowing robes with hats and symbols of power. One historian said this, in a tragic turnabout, they switched roles no longer being persecuted, they began persecuting others as heretics. But that's not, the, that's not the church James is writing to. That's not what James is expecting from us either. And so we as Christians are those who are brethren in Christ. It's a, it's a, a word that James is fond of. He uses it 19 times in five chapters. And he began last week when we looked at it saying that the first thing you need to know is you need to persevere. You need upomone, this, this Greek word, upomone, steadfast endurance. You need to be able to press on. And today's key word is logos, as I said to you earlier, the word word, because it's found several times in the verses we're looking at. As I said, let's go into this outline now. Introduction is the fact that in verse 18, James says, you were born of the truth, born of the word of truth. And having been born in that, um, you need to grow in it. And there's this connection in Scripture all throughout the New Testament. There's a connection between the word of God and our spiritual birth. In 1 Peter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Later on in verse 23, and since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You've been born according to the word of God. The parables of Jesus, remember that the seed represents the word of God, and in in chapter 4 of 41 of John, Jesus, it says of Jesus, many more believed in him because of his word. Chapter 5, 24, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal 
life. The word of God and being born of God are linked over and over again. Romans chapter 10, verse 8, the word is near you. Where is the word? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, he says. And then later on in verse 17, therefore, faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. There is this incredible link over and over again. I'm comparing all kinds of scriptures right now so that you understand that there's a comparison between God speaking his word and your new birth in Christ. In fact, the other thing that the New Testament authors do is they link God speaking creation way back in Genesis into being and God speaking you into a spiritual life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and God made you alive spoke life into you just as he spoke the, the creation into being. Ex nihilo, that Latin word meaning out of nothing. Similarly, you and I, we came out of nothing. We were dead in our sins and God through his word spoke life into your being and you became a, a, a regenerate being, not a dead spiritual being, but a live spiritual being. And your soul was saved. You see, God never comes to any person with the idea that he's doing a repair job, that he's doing a renovation. It says in the scriptures, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. <clears throat> and so it's incredible what God does. God says, no, you know, I don't want you to bring your leftovers to me, your, your, your disrepair, your need for, no, I'm going to start over. I didn't buy the land for the house. I bought the land for the land. I'm going to build new. God wants that out of us. You were born by the word of truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So Martin Luther was very right when he said that God's word cannot exist without God's people. And conversely, God's people cannot exist without God's word. We would not come to be born of God without his word that clarifies how to be born of God. And God's word would not exist without God's people who are filling the narrative of God's word with how it is that the holy history has unfolded so that we can believe in a cross and we, we can understand what Jesus Christ has done there. So born of the word of truth. Let's move on to believing the word, verses 19 and 20. And again, remember, in the original autographs, the original manuscripts of the New Testament, there were no paragraph divisions and sentence divisions like that. We carry on from verse 18 right into verse 19. Born of the word of truth. Now he says that you should know this, that everyone should be quick to listen Know what? Know that everyone should be quick to listen to this word of truth that you were born into. Be quick to listen to it. Be slow to speak about it or against it. Be, be slow to get angry. Now, this is a good proverb as it is. If you don't connect it to the word of God, fine. These are, this is good advice. Be, be slow to speak and get angry, quick to listen. That's a good advice across the board. But I believe in the context James is talking about the word of truth. 
because human anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And if you're going to resist what God says to you in his word, you're not going to follow into maturity in your faith. It's a parallel text, really, to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.2. When Peter says, like newborn babies, crave, long for pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up in respect to your salvation. You've been born into this, and so now you crave it. I mean, have you seen a newborn baby recently? They have to be fed every hour or two. They crave that milk. Why do they crave the milk? Because they're born into that milk. They don't push it away. Christians continue like newborn babies. Be quick to listen to the word. Be slow to speak against it or get angry at it because you're not going to grow up if you don't have it. The word of God. And then goes in on, James says in verse 21, he, he says the word therefore. You know all about the word therefore, don't you? You've got to figure out what it's there for. And so he says, since you have been born by the word of truth, and since you actually re- receive this word of truth, then put away other stuff. Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with humility or meekness the word planted in you. It's already there because you've been born into it. Receive it now, which can make, save your souls. I love this word filthiness. It would not come to me if I hadn't studied the word. The word filthiness in this text, in the Greek text, is is a medical term that has to do with the wax buildup in your ears. (laughs) It's gross. I mean... It's, it's all about the wax buildup in your ears. And he's saying, you know, you can't listen to the word of truth if you don't have your spiritual ears and your wax out. Get rid of that filthiness so that you can listen to the word of God and the word of truth. And so instead of competing affections in your life, instead of plugged up spiritual ears, instead of other noise entering those ears and clogging it, the airwaves, be ready to receive the word. Get rid of that other stuff and receive the word. There's now, you can hear it now. Oh, that's the word of truth. Got rid of the other noise. Got my ears cleaned out. Spiritual ears. And I can receive now the word of truth. And that word receive is the word for hospitality in the New Testament. So the picture here is that you're having people into your home. This is the idea is that now you can receive into your ears, the spiritual truths that are going to build your life on, the welcoming of this truth into your hearts, because just like you'd, you'd welcome guests into your home and give them honor. And Paul uses a similar picture in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Again, that dwell word, it's a word for hospitality. Let the word of Christ, the word, let let it just be at home in you. Let it dwell there. Be hospitable to the word of God. It's a picture of hospitality. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, that's the same word, the receive word, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work to in you who believe. 
The word of God is working in you who believe. Why? Because you've received it. You said, come on in. Come on into my heart. Come on into every corner, every closet. Have your way, God, word of God. Speak to me. I'm going to be quick to listen. I'm going to be slow to speak back. I'm going to be slow to get angry when you confront me. God, I want to listen to you. Do you see what James is saying? All of this is preamble to the big idea, which becomes doers of the word. You can't be a doer of the word unless you've already been nurtured in this way. The emphasis is on, you know, it's interesting. The emphasis in in the scriptures generally, but in James here in particular, I'm, I'm talking about this morning. The emphasis is not on what you're not to do. The emphasis is is not on what you're not to entertain. The emphasis is what you are to entertain, what you are to bring into your ears and heart. It's kind of like, how many of you have read the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis? Put your hand up. A long time ago you wrote it. Yes, some of you. Okay, so in in that interesting parable about the master devil and his apprentice called Wormwood. There's an exchange that goes on at one point. And let me read to you what he says. He says says to his apprentice, it's funny how these mortals always picture us demons putting things into their minds when in reality our best work is done by keeping things out of their minds, such as scripture and prayer and contentment. Isn't that interesting? What James is advocating here is receive the word of God. Let it form you. Let it shape you. Let it fill you. Let it be part of your spiritual breakfast and supper every day. Let's move on to the really the centerpiece of the scripture in this passage in verse 22. James is driving toward this idea that he brings into full view now. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And the word to be, okay, this is, it's only a two-letter word in English, I know. But the word be is, is probably the most important word in the sentence. Be doers of the word. You know, when, I was, when we were studying Spanish in Bolivia, some of the first lessons, the weeks of lessons, was figuring out the to be verb. Probably it's like that in all kinds of languages. There's the, in Spanish, there's the ser and the estar verb. So if I'm going to speak about ser, that is to be permanently to be. Soy hombre. I am a man. That's not going to change. But when I use the estar verb, estoy creciendo, I'm growing. These are words that change. Probably there'll come a time when I'm not growing. In fact, I think I passed that a long time ago. And in this scripture, it's more the estar. I haven't looked at the Spanish translation of it, but here's what James is saying. James is using a present tense imperative here of the word ginomai, which means to become. 
It, it, in, intrinsically, this to be verb is a becoming verb. It's saying you don't get to be a doer of the word overnight. When you were born of God way back, when you became a Christian, you did not automatically start to be a doer of the word. You need to become a doer of the word, and it's an ongoing process as long as you're in this body on this earth. You are becoming a doer of the word. Now, I find that really encouraging because I don't know about you, but when I do my own spiritual inventory, I find that there's a disconnect between who I am what I, what I say I believe and what I believe and, and the way I live sometimes. That's called integrity, isn't it, I guess, when, when what I say and what I live are integrated to, together. There are areas of inconsistency in all of our lives. James knew that. James knew that there are Christians that can talk the talk but not walk the walk. To some degree, we're all like that. And he's saying, become more and more a doer of the word. Grow up into this. Let the word of God shape you. Be at home with it. Receive it in. And then grow up in it. And start to do it. Live it out. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.17 May God comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good word and deed. 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Can you imagine going to a doctor and getting a prescription written out and going to the pharmacy and getting the prescription fulfilled, and three months later, you go back to the doctor for a checkup, and, and he, you tell him, yeah, I got the prescription, and, and how's it going? Well, I haven't taken anything yet. I haven't opened it. That's just foolish. James is saying, how can you be a hearer of the word and not a doer? You can't grow up that way. You must live it. The truth of God is not just to inform us, but to transform us. That's why James uses this mirror example in verses 22 to 25. And, and back then, the mirrors were not like our mirrors. Sometimes the mirrors were highly polished metal. So when you looked into the mirror, you saw this kind of a face looking back at you, but, but it says you have to look intently to really see if there's a blemish on the face or the hair's out of place. And, and James is saying that if you look intently into the word, the, the law that gives freedom and, and are changed by that, you're going to be wise. But if you look into that mirror intently for, for 15 minutes and then walk away and forget what you saw, well, you're just being foolish. You're deceiving yourselves. You're going to go through all, all that day with that blotch on your face, that hair out of place, and you're deceived. So, so to attend a Bible study, to read through the Bible in a year, to, to go to a life group or a discussion group on the book of James and, and, and get all the meaning out of the Scriptures that you can just, just get everything you can imagine out of there and have a lot of head knowledge... But in the end, not do it, not live it out. That's, that's just, you're not going to grow up. That's why you need people in your life that are willing to say, you know, that's not consistent with what you believe. I know it's not. You're coming across this way, and I don't think you want to. You know, I, I mean, it's hard to see the silver lining in COVID-19, isn't it? 
But could it be that, could it be that you already have enough Bible knowledge and you just need to start doing some of that, living it out? Wait, don't hear preachers say that very often, do you? You know, at the end of life, Christianity, the Christian life, will not have a written exam. Sorry. <laughs> there won't be a final written exam. I'm not saying that what you believe about the Word of God in a statement of doctrinal statement is not important. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when it comes to the end of the age, you're not going to be asked to fill out a written exam. It's going to be a life exam. You're writing the exam right now, folks. <laughs> to not align your life with what you know is right and God's word is to be deceived. You've fallen into a religion that does not resemble the authentic faith of what James is writing about. Just years after Jesus dies. And so, according to verse 25, if you look intently into this law and you persevere in it, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be changed. The word of God is, is meant to change us. As we look into the scriptures intently, we start to see the sinless character of God, and we start to see how far we fall short, and then it takes us full circle back to the grace of God to say, Jesus, could you do a deeper work in me? And that leads us to, finally, the last point, which I will call the conclusion, and that is, that James is driving toward a final point, which is saying, here's what it might look like. Verses 26 and 27. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, uh, this, this person's religion is worthless. And religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and your doctrine closely. 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, Paul says, you are a letter from Christ, written by and seen by everyone. You know, it's interesting how the scriptures over and over again say, live it out. Why, why orphans and widows? I asked myself this past week, why why are, why are they discussed here as an example of true religion? I wonder if it's because they're examples in our society, and especially on this Freedom Sunday, I could not believe my ears when I heard David say that up to four billion people could be on this earth living outside of the rule of law and be subject to abuse or injustice or slavery. <laughs> I think that orphans and widows in the, in the day of first century Palestine were far worse off even than today. But I think that one of the reasons that James points them out is because they, they are naturally going to be lonely. They have lost something. They have, have experienced loss of a, of a spouse or parents. And they don't have community naturally in their lives. They, they don't have family, maybe. And it says that they're afflicted in their affliction. You, you know people that match this, this portfolio 
whether they're orphaned or they're widowed or divorced or whether they've lost jobs or whether they're just socially isolated some reason. You know people like this. And, and what, G, what James is saying is the, the religion that is pure and undefiled is, is not about you. It's about others. In fact, as we, as we talk about neighborhood groups and we think about how we want to organize our church family into caring communities, kind of like what the early church was known for, we have to remind ourselves this isn't about me. I might have my roster every week full, but, but what about others in my neighborhood or my church family that maybe they're not doing so well? Maybe they need care. That's what I'm excited about, is seeing the body care for one another and build each other up in love. And so in the scriptures here, we, we find then James is talking about something really important. James is getting deeper into his theme of understanding what matters to God. We're going to go through each week till Christmas, we're going to, or till Advent, we're going to be going through each week, and you're going to be reminded, maybe uncomfortably, of something that really matters to God. And it's something that is going to say, this is what authentic faith is. Do you look like that? Because that's what you're born for. That's what you're born into. May the Lord bless his word to us. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. And as they come, I'm just gonna ask you to pray with me. Father, we thank you for James this, this man that grew up not believing in Jesus and then after the resurrection, Lord, he met you and he, he came to be a, a cornerstone in the church, a pillar of the early church in Jerusalem. And we see that in his later years when he wrote this letter, he had seen the persecution that his brothers and sisters were facing. He had seen how important it was to, to not water down the faith that Jesus had passed on. And we together today see that this indeed is important stuff for us to live out. Would you help us, Lord? Would you help us to, to be doers of the word? And uh, Lord, would you help us to be the solution to many people's prayers that are isolated, that are lonely? Help us to be your people, your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord God, you've heard our prayer in word and in song. We ask that you would continue to change us, to grow us. May we continue to be more and more a beacon for you, for the good news of your gospel, of your son. And may we be your hands and feet in ways that matter, in flesh and blood ways that matter in this world. Please bless us as we go from here. And may you be glorified by what happens in this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.